Let's pray together. Jesus, we will praise your name forever. You are the one that we adore. You're the one that we worship here tonight. You're the reason that we've gathered in this church. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be exalted in the praises of your people, that you would be glorified in the way that we love one another and encourage one another tonight. And, Lord, we pray that as we consider your word briefly this evening, that you would speak to our hearts and that you would remind us again of your great love for us that was put on full display for all time through the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask these things now in his name. Amen. Please be seated. And Merry Christmas, everyone. Welcome to Apostles Church. I know we have a number of visitors here this evening, family members, friends, neighbors, co-workers, and we just want to say we're so glad that you're here with us tonight to worship the Lord. You know, Christmas Eve is brimming with excitement. Unless, of course, you haven't finished your Christmas shopping yet, then it's brimming with anxiety. But for all of the children here and for all of us who remotely feel like we've got Christmas ready and prepared, it's an exciting evening. There's no doubt about that. I remember as a young boy, my family and I would go down to Oceanside. We lived in Riverside at the time, but we'd go down to Oceanside for most Christmas Eves, and we'd be there with my, at my grandma's house, and we'd celebrate together. And then on the drive back, which was a long drive, my brother and I would be sitting in the car, and we'd be looking out the window at the night sky, hoping to see Santa and his reindeer flying through the sky. Of course, for many people, Santa is the central figure in the Christmas story. It's been said that there are four stages in a person's relationship with Santa. First, you believe in Santa. Then you get a little bit older and you don't believe in Santa. You get older still and you become Santa. And then finally, you look like Santa. As Christians, I think I heard an amen out there. (laughs) As Christians, we serve our souls well by constantly rehearsing the story of Christmas to remind ourselves that the central figure in this story is the baby in the manger. After the birth of Christ, it was the baby Jesus who the three wise men from the east traveled to find and shower with gifts. As a church family journeying through Advent season, we sought to keep our eyes on Jesus by considering the three offices of Christ, prophet, priest, and king. And we see in Hebrews chapter 1, Uh, a representation of these three offices in the life of Christ. I want to read eight verses for us. This is Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The author writes, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, 
Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. As most of you know, Christ is not Jesus' last name. So his parents were not Mary and Joseph Christ. No, Christ is actually a title. And it literally means anointed one. In the Old Testament, there were three offices in Israel in which or where when a person was called into those offices, that person was actually anointed with oil. And those three offices were prophets, priests, and the kings of Israel. And as we see here in Hebrews chapter 1, Jesus the Anointed One came and fulfilled all three of these offices. The chapter begins with a reference to Christ's prophetic office, prophet. Verses 1 and 2 said this, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus then becomes for us the fulfillment of the office of prophet. In verse 3, we see the office of priest referenced. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Lastly, we see the office of king in verse 8. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. We have a slide that we've prepared that sort of shows us these three offices that Jesus, our Savior, came to fulfill when he came to this earth 2,000 years ago. A prophet is essentially a messenger, and a prophet represents God before the people. So prophets would say to the people, Thus saith the Lord. A priest was a mediator. A priest was the one who represented the people before God. A priest was the one who would make sacrifices and offerings to bring people to God. A king is a monarch. And what a king did is he ruled the people for God. Tonight, we're going to consider Christ the King, and that's the title of this message. In the Old Testament... The monarchy was established for the peace, prosperity, and welfare of the nation. The prototype king was King David. David defeated Israel's enemies and he established peace and prosperity for the Jewish people. Under his leadership and rule, all of God's people could truly say, all is well. But ever since the time of David, the Jews knew that their Messiah would sit on the throne of David. God promised King David in 2 Samuel 7, 16, Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And David himself prophesied that one of his descendants would be the ultimate king who would rule forever over God's people. This prophecy was made in one of David's most famous psalms, Psalm 110. In this psalm, David begins by calling his royal descendant, Lord, pointing to his superiority over David. Here's how Psalm 110 starts. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. The prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years later, would build on this promise when he wrote of the Messiah to come in Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So that was the backdrop leading up to Christmas 2,000 years ago. And when the angel Gabriel visited the young virgin Mary and announced that she was going to conceive and have a child, there was no confusion in what he said that her son was the fulfillment of these promises. In Luke 1.30, we read this. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus then is, in fact, this long-awaited Messiah, this future king who was prophesied about, who God was going to send to save his people and rule over them forever. Now, as you know, human kingdoms come and go. David, as great of a ruler as he was, died and he has no authority today over you or me. At the time of the birth of Christ, it seemed that the Romans would continue ruling forever. People thought that about the Greeks and the Babylonians and the Egyptians before that. And over the last few decades, many people have thought that about Americans. But no human kingdom lasts forever. In contrast, Jesus is an eternal king ruling over an eternal kingdom. This means that Jesus is in charge of everything, including your life and mine. He's the boss and we are not. I heard a story about a little boy who wanted a bike for Christmas really badly. But he knew that he had been a pretty bad boy that year, so he thought, the chances of me getting a bike are slim to none. So he thought about it, and he decided to write a letter to Jesus. He writes a letter, and he says, Dear Jesus, if I get a bike for Christmas, I'll be good for a whole week. He thought about it a little bit, and he realized, I can't be good for a whole week. So he takes his pencil, and he scribbles out a week, and he says, Dear Jesus, if I get a bike for Christmas, I'll be good for five days. He thought about that a little bit, and he thought, Man, I can't be good for five whole days. So he takes his pencil and he scribbles that out. He says, dear Jesus, if I get a bike for Christmas, I will be good for three whole days. Feeling satisfied, he began folding the letter. But before he could put it into his envelope, he thought to himself, who am I kidding? I can't even be good for one day. So in frustration, he slams down his pencil and he throws down the the paper. And he runs downstairs to the living room and the nativity set and he grabs Mary And he runs back upstairs and sticks her under his bed. Then he grabs his pencil and he writes on his letter, Dear Jesus, if I don't get a bike for Christmas, you'll never see your mother again. (laughs) Sorry, little guy, that's not how it works. The fact is that Jesus is the king. And what that means is that you and me and little boys who want bikes for Christmas don't get to boss him around. He's the one in charge. But guess what? This is good news for us. Because Jesus is a perfect king. Just as the Old Testament kings ruled for the peace 
prosperity, and welfare of the nation, Jesus rules for the peace, prosperity, and welfare of his people. When King David became king over Israel, God's people had had enemies on every side. But through David, God defeated all of their enemies and ushered in an era of amazing peace and prosperity for the people. But as wonderful as that was, David never dealt with the greatest enemies of God's people. The greatest enemies of God's people are not political or national. Our greatest enemies are sin and death. Sin, you need to know, is responsible for everything that is wrong in this universe. Cornelius Plantinga, in his wonderful book, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, describes sin as the vandalism of shalom. The Hebrew word shalom means peace, prosperity, really it means human flourishing. And what Plantinga is describing is the fact that what sin is, is it's sort of like if you were to take a spray can and start tagging all over human flourishing, you're vandalizing human flourishing. Sin is what has separated us from a holy and righteous and loving God. And sin is what creates all of the conflict and alienation among peoples and families and relationships. Sin is destructive. And ultimately, because sin separates us from God, it leads to not only our physical death, but a spiritual death as well. Enter King Jesus. 2,000 years ago, our King, Jesus, entered into the story of this world on that first Christmas night to fight our battles for us. And through his death, his resurrection, and his ascension to heaven, Sin and death have been defeated for those who put their trust in him. Speaking of the resurrection of Christ and the future resurrection of all believers, the Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 15. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus has defeated our great enemies and established peace, prosperity, and welfare for those who put their trust in him. And he lovingly leads us and rules us in justice and equity. We're the sheep, and he's the great shepherd. David put it this way in Psalm 23. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness For his name's sake. So Jesus the Christ leads and rules in the lives of all of his followers. And not just individually, but collectively he rules by governing and directing his church so that the principles of his kingdom are put on display for the whole world to see and be attracted to. As individual believers are filled with the Holy Spirit and they start living out the fruit of the Spirit, things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, something amazing happens. There's this community called the church where people are genuinely being loved and cared for and valued and needs are being met and compassion and mercy are being shown. And guess what? That is an attractive community for the world around us to see. And in this way, The kingdom of Christ has broken into this broken world and all true churches with Christ as their head are like little embassies or outposts 
of God's kingdom. But someday soon, when Christ returns, he will make true in practice what has always been true in principle. Namely, that the whole earth is his, and even those who reject him are still subject to him. As we fast forward to the end of human history, which we get a glimpse at in the book of Revelation, we find that, yep, Jesus is still king. Here's Revelation 19.16. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In light of this, Philippians 2.9-11 says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him, And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. When I was a kid, one of my neighbors had a poster on their garage, and it had a picture of the three wise men, and they were on their camels, traveling to greet the baby Jesus. And the poster read this. It said, wise men still seek him. And you know what? That's true. The first wise men knew that they were looking for a king. And they brought him splendid gifts and they humbly offered them to this newborn king. Those who are wise today follow in their footsteps. They recognize Jesus for who he is, the Christ, the one true king. And they offer him their very lives. In Romans 12, 1, Paul puts it this way. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So on this Christmas evening, I would ask you, have you done that yet? Have you grasped who Jesus truly is and responded appropriately by offering your very life to him as a living sacrifice. A perfect king is worthy of nothing less. You'll notice that we have one last candle in this Advent wreath that needs to be lit. And this center candle is known as the Christ candle. And we light it on Christmas Eve as sort of the culmination of the Advent season as we celebrate the Advent or the arrival of our newborn king. And so to do that, to light that candle, um, I'm going to invite my own family up this week uh, to read a passage of scripture for us and lead our church family in prayer and light that candle. And then we're going to continue to worship our newborn king through music. So we're going to do that now. Luke 2, 10 through 14. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Father, we are so thankful this evening for the good news of Christmas, that although each of us in our own ways have sinned against you and separated ourselves from a perfect and loving Heavenly Father, that you did not leave us in this place, but 2,000 years ago, you sent your one and only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, 
in the city of Bethlehem to be Christ the Lord, to save us from our sins and to offer us eternal life. So this evening, this Christmas season, we as your followers once again turn to you in faith, trusting in you alone as our Savior and our King forever. Lord, we offer you worship and praise, and we pray that you would help each of us in our own lives and in our families and as a church family to keep Jesus central this Christmas season. We ask these things now in his name. Amen. Amen.